Now listen closely. They will attack your eyes till nothing remains but two bloody sockets. Ladies and gentlemen, my subject is disturbed tonight. Her world is disturbed. Now I saw those bodies and whoever mutilated them has a very special problem. There's nothing to be afraid of. Stay Scary Podcast. Welcome to Stay Scary Podcast, a very silly podcast about very serious horror. My name is Lisa McColgan. I'm Ian Kiefer. And here's our special guest. <laughs> Hello, I'm Matthew Brockmeyer, the humble lycanthrope. Yeah, yeah. How? How? <laughs> so, yeah, we're here to talk about... Uh, Matthew's uh, Matthew's work and uh, and and tie it into the theme of um, rural, uniquely American. Yeah. So what rural noir, Matthew? Your your style of work is you're you're working on a Northern California Gothic style. Right. Right. Talk about that with a little bit. What 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 does that mean? Oh well, I try to find the Gothic in the. Uh country here in Northern California, behind the Redwood Curtain. Um, a lot of time is actually very horrific and, and terrifying. You know, if you think about um, like a mice and men, the murder right. and a... Well, uh, it's interesting that you talk about John Steinbeck because, you know, the dialogue between uh, Lenny and, oh, I'm sorry, and the other character... George. George, yes, thank you. Yeah, you know, we're going to live off the fat of the land. You know, they right. say that all the time. And I think in your book, Kind Nepenthe, that's also a theme. Like, hey, we're going to go run off and live off the fat of the land and, you know, live on this commune and life's going to be great. Absolutely. It was a huge influence there. And, um, they, of course, they end up on a farm that's, that's more or less, uh, evil in, in certain ways and, and greed uh, overcomes everybody and they have this tragic ending and just like at the end of uh, Grapes of Wrath, the river rises up and um, takes everybody away pretty much. So Matthew, what, what did you draw on for your book? What, what did you draw on any life experiences? Um, I know you've got some literary influences that were a part of uh, the writing. Yeah, it was a, a lot of life experiences. I actually, uh, I moved to Humboldt and lived in a place exactly like the setting there in that uh, story. And uh, You lived on no a one, pot farm? Yeah, yeah, but no one died, luckily. So uh, it was all good. That's good. It sounds pretty surreal. You can see some wild shit out here. I don't know how familiar you are with uh, the uh, counterculture, drug culture, hippie culture, redneck culture outlaw hillbilly culture of northern california but it's uh charlie manson and uh and the and the very beginnings of the family spent some time out there ukiah right so it's it's funny i i don't have a whole lot of west coast knowledge um i've been an east coaster all my life and the the closest thing i could come to something like that was growing up in pennsylvania and uh where i lived there were some biker gangs and um I had a friend who was dating a biker and I went to a biker party and I got quite an education on the drug culture and what was available, you know, and what does it mean when someone says, Hey, do you party? And I'm like, I'm at the party. 
Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? And it's like, oh no, you, oh, they mean something else. It's totally different than what I was thinking at the time. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, that's quite the open-ended question right there. You party? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that could have meant one of two things, either crank um, or coke in that in that scenario. And, um, you know, it was uh, it was it was something else. There was some crazy behavior. Some guy was like swinging a baseball bat coming out of nowhere. Um, Just just nutty, just nutty stuff that, that, that I'd see. I'm sure you've seen plenty, uh, working on the pot farm, living in the pot farm. My, my experience with, with sort of, you know, rural is, you know, I, I grew up on the East coast, but I spent four years down in uh, Pasco County, Florida, which is like dead center, Florida. And that's its own weirdness. It's a very, um, it's a very interesting place. Uh, I don't think it's quite as interesting as it is as it was when I was there, which was late '80s, early '90s. Um, but you know, one of my professors at this little school that I was at um, is a, was a, a biker, um, Mark Tiger Edmonds, and he would write uh, epic motorcycle poetry, like in the in the epic style, like epic motorcycle poetry, and he was just this like long gangly weathered dude with like a ponytail and he always had at least like one black lab with him like his dogs and you know always in denim he had it like what he called his good suit which was like the darker denim vest and the darker denim jacket and the darker jeans and he was just like like nothing else that that I'd ever experienced <laughs> experienced up to that point, and he really informed uh, what I do as a as as a writer, which is sort of like the high rhetoric, you know, peppered with a lot of hillbilly and and slang, which um, I, I definitely appreciate uh, in 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 your work, Matthew. Um, but yeah, if you ever get a chance to to read some Mark Tiger Edmonds. Uh, epic motorcycle poetry it's it's pretty it's pretty rad stuff so so matthew um i i have a bit of add going on today <laughs> so i i'll probably be bouncing around but just before i came in i was watching wise blood because lisa had mentioned it in in our conversation and i so i i said you know let's get in the mood let's put this on and wow yeah, that's some good stuff. The John Houston film, huh? It's good. Yeah. Flannery O'Connor is amazing. Uh, she calls herself the grotesque, um, the Southern grotesque. Uh, really interesting stuff, you know. She says, uh, the South is hardly a Christ-centered, but it's Christ-haunted. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she definitely draws from, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's cool that you mentioned that, uh, you know, like an almost medieval grotesques uh, in, in, in these characters and particularly in Wise Blood, which she actually wrote fairly early on in her career. Um, and uh, it's uh, where she just kind of goes off with it, you know, like, all right, I'm just going to stick a mummified dwarf in here and, you know, I'm just going to roll with this. And it's absolutely crazy stuff. But I think, you know, the stuff she wrote later on, you know, got even um darker with that um, Southern grotesque and that very um, gothic 
dark, uh, you know, she was Catholic so, and I was raised Catholic. So, you know, it's, it's that Catholicism, which is kind of rare in the South anyway. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, she definitely draws from that uh, gory religious, you know, she definitely comes from that, uh, that, that time where the you know if you if you go into the north end in in uh, in Boston they still have there's some uh, churches that still have like the crazy ass statues Saint Lucy with the, with her eyeballs on a plate you know and that's you know I think that's why when I fir- I first read O'Connor in high school which is kind of amazing to me now I don't think any high school would 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 have their kids read a good man is hard to find let alone Greenleaf my teacher assigned us Greenleaf which is just if you read Greenleaf, that's the to me is like the ultimate, you know, in religious symbolism and grotesquerie. And um, yeah, I don't know if you've if you've read uh, if uh, Matthew, I'm sure you've read it, but I don't know, Ian, if you have not. No, this is all new information to me today. I actually have a, a great book that I've had for a long time. It's um, American Gargoyles, which I'll show you right here. It's Flannery O'Connor and the Medieval Grotesque. Oh, well, I need to read that. Yeah, it's by Anthony Dorenzo. Um, and yeah, so the, the, the picture is of like, you know, a uh, traditional gargoyle on the cover, you know, along with lawn jockeys. Yeah, that's a great juxtaposition uh, there. Yeah. That, part of her like uh, um, charm is that it's it, this juxtaposition between the, 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 the poignant and the comedic, the dark and like the zany and weird and bizarre, you know? Right, right. Yeah. It's, um, so, yeah, and I can definitely, you know, in, in, in what I've read from you, that, that influence, it's, you know, it's a huge influence. I mean, I, I don't write quite as much as I used to, but I mean, it's been, a, you know, her stuff has been a huge influence on just maybe just even my whole outlook um, since I first was, you know, assigned to read that, you know, I think my junior year in high school, um, which again, is just mind blowing to me. I just can't even imagine um, some of the stuff that, that, you know, we were assigned, like, like even the lottery by Shirley Jackson. Like, I, I wonder if kids are still assigned the lottery. My son read it. All right, good. That's- how, old your, how old is your boy? 14. No. Oh, wow. my daughter will be 13 in October and she's pretty precocious. Do you think I could have her read it? Oh, the lottery. Absolutely. I, I think, I think that's a, yeah, you, you, you want, you want your kids to read the lottery. You want your kids to read a modest proposal, you know, and I would say you want your kids to read a good man is hard to find. Like th- those are like, you know, that's like the, that's the, the Holy Trinity of, you know, great fiction or, you know, satire, an, an introduction to satire. Um, cause kids- well, seeing as we're locked up in here pretty much, you know, day in and day out, this will be good story time, good mommy daughter story time together. So oh, yeah, you, yeah. Read her some Flannery O'Connor. She'll, uh, she'll love that. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. So Matthew, you are uh, off grid right now. You're, you're actually kind of in, in the woods now. Right this second. No, I came up North just, just for this. Oh, but, thank uh, you. Yeah. So, so like, but are you tucked away um, because you're writing? Is that, is that one of the things or is this just how you roll? In theory, I would like to say that it's for writing, but uh, you know, it's tough. <laughs> no, we have a homestead. Um, 
we lived on our homestead for about 20 years and uh we had goats and chickens we still got some chickens and stuff but uh we did the whole milking the goats and making cheese and uh goat milk soap for the farmer's market and growing vegetable starch and produce and all that and we still grow a lot of produce that's that's awesome that's like my dream i would love to be able to do that but that's not where life took me (laughs) i don't know how life took me down that path it was a strange journey so how did you get to the pot farm um, I, uh, am I allowed we, to ask you this? Am I allowed? Am, is this, is it? Okay. All right. Sorry. <laughs> we used to trim weed for a living, for, for money, you know, and, uh, we'd go out to these farms and, and work for people and trim their pot and stuff. And this guy's like, uh, you want to live here for a while? And we had, we were living in Lake Tahoe. The uh, landlord was selling our house. So we moved out there. It was an experience. <laughs> You say that with the smile on your face where you say this is, it was an experience. And I know there's so much behind that smile. It was in a very notorious part of Humboldt County. I don't know if you ever heard of Rancho Sequoia or Alder Point. They call it Murder Mountain. Holy shit. Was there was a a blog or something, wasn't there? That a woman. That's why. And and that's why I call it Homicide Hill in uh, Kind of Nepenthe. Because I didn't want to like call it uh murder mountain yeah right right (laughs) oh my gosh well then so one of the things that i noticed is that there is also like these visions of ghosts in your book kind of like the shining right oh yeah yeah so are you a big stephen king fan yeah yeah you know when i was a kid when i was in high school i was obsessed with them and uh but um I still love Stephen King, old uh, Uncle Stevie. He's great. Yeah. Uncle Stevie, yeah. What, what's your favorite? Oh, uh, I like his short stories, you know. I like Survivor Type. You know that short story? No. About this heroin dealer who gets stuck on an island with like five pounds of heroin. And he's like chasing this bird to eat. He's starving to death, you know. And because um, like he's in a shipwreck and he washes up on this island and uh, breaks his ankle. So he's a... Uh, his uh, ankle gets all infected, so uh, he takes some heroin and he and he and he cuts off his leg because he's got gangrene. And oh God! He eats it, and he slowly begins to eat himself. <laughs> good stuff, man. It's good stuff. Yeah, like apt pupil. You ever read that one? Apt pupil is one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. I like his like gnarly short stories the best. So, so it's interesting. So like a lot of the, the um, stuff that I was, when I was looking up real noir and like, I was looking at the movies that I was like throwing out, like um, Frailty, um, Winter's Bone. Um, I watched, uh, what, what did I watch recently? I watched Southern Comfort. I don't know if you guys saw that one. It's early eighties. It's got Keith Carradine and Fred Ward in it. And it's about these guys that are, uh, doing National Guard drills in Louisiana. They're in Cajun country. And so for for yucks, they have like, you know, they have blanks in their machine guns, but they shoot at these hunter-trapper guys in the swamp. And guess what? The hunter-trapper guys aren't fucking around and they decide to shoot back with real bullets and then they, it, it becomes a chase. So they start getting hunted down one by one and it's 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 pretty crazy but it's um it's pretty good i thought it was good um and uh sharp objects um the based on the book did you see the miniseries with amy adams and um patricia clarkson 
Um, mm. It's really good. And anyway, um, one of the theme, like the themes that I keep seeing are addiction to drugs um, and also um, addiction to religion. So it's like drugs and religion is being like these like things that people are clinging to um, for like survival, um, self-preservation, you know, that's like just kind of being self-sufficient out there. Um, because you're away from everything and what else is there to do? Right. And that's, um, you know, that that sort of isolation, um, particularly, you know, in, in Appalachia, that that isolation, um, you know, from any kind of traditional church upbringing is is how conjure and folk magic um, it, uh, comes up, which is something that I, I studied before I uh, went on my my current path of, of witchcraft, but um, it's Bible-centered, but um, without, you know, anything other than traveling preachers, um, it, become, it becomes this sort of patchwork uh, of hoodoo and um, Catholic um, witchcraft, you know, very, a very earth-based religion, because it, it, it comes out of that sense of, well, you know, we have to make do by ourselves because we're out here by ourselves um also kind of gets demonized a little bit um you know obviously deliverance is you know a terrifying movie but you know it, you know decades later it, it's also really problematic <laughs> is this where we talk about the ass fucking again <laughs> I was not talking about ass fucking this week. Um, no, but but that's but the, it's it's another it's it's the idea of you know Appalachian hill folk being you know evil and grotesque and backwards, and yeah, it's it's a it's a terrifying movie. Wait, hold the phone for just a minute. Two words for you, Joe Exotic. Also, you know, grotesque and and not surprising. Um, <laughs> Deliverance is uh, uh, right when they're when they're showing the opening scenes and you hear that voiceover. He's like, "We're gonna grace the whole goddamn landscape." Mm-hmm. So you know, it's it, it, a premonition there, and I think it's it's metaphorical. You know, um, what does he say? There's a line in there, and it's like, um, "We lost something when we left the, when we left the the forest and the rivers." And then the other character says, "We didn't lose it; we sold it." And I think like even now, you know, there's this concept, um, you know, we we're looking at our country's history, who owned what first. Right. You know, and it's 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 this constant question. Um, who are the original squatters and what rights do they have? You know? <laughs> I mean, Flannery O'Connor is really problematic, too. I mean, especially oh. with the. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 I was watching it and, uh, and my partner's like, you could not show this movie in a movie theater right now. I mean, because it did stay pretty, as, as far as like a, a film adaptation, it did stay pretty faithful to the, to the source material. And, and that includes, you know, the language. And yeah. that's just, you know, that's how these people spoke and, and it's how they still talk. Um, but 1952, I think, is when the book came out. 
Right. And the film, the film version is interesting to me because it's um, it's not Hazel's not post World War Two coming back. It's 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 a more of a vague thing where, you know, it's not quite 60s. It's not quite 70s. It's very um, anachronistic. Uh, like I think deliberately so, which adds to sort of the timelessness and and sort of the creepiness of it. I mean, Wise Blood, you know, is not quite a horror movie, but um, at the same time, it's 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 also has a lot of those elements, and it's 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 kind of a it's a creepy watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think Houston. Um, made you know it was pretty it was pretty deliberate with that and and man talk about like like the perfect marriage of the minds like john houston and flannery o'connor you know, <laughs> to, to do this movie and it's got an incredible cast you know it's you know my my horror boyfriend brad dourif is in it i have a huge crush on brad dourif brad call me uh, <laughs> he's hot in that movie i you know he's hot He's hot. He looks good in Deadwood. Oh, yeah. I'd worship at that church, the Church of the Truth Without Christ. (laughs) Hell, yeah. (laughs) I think I'm a member. I got a kick. <laughs> I got a kick at it, and I, I thought it was pretty. I didn't finish the movie. It's, it was still rolling when I was like, "Shit, I gotta get o- over here and and talk with you guys." So we won't spoil the ending, but you know, as is as is typical with Flannery O'Connor, she doesn't uh, she doesn't deify any of her protagonists, and and nobody necessarily gets a happy ending, which is a uh, you know something that I I like about. Uh, about her stuff that, that that there's really no redemption going on in in really any of her stories. That's something I I I I'm very inspired by that, and I think that's a, that's a thing that I do as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, when uh, um, Ian read mine, and I was uh, you know listening to it while while you know I was editing it in post, and and I yeah I definitely got that sense as well. It's just that you know that there's yeah there's just no redemption. So the kid in mine, I there's there's a, a part two to him, isn't there? Yes, yes, it's Ooh. coming out in September. Talk to me about that. Talk to us about this. Talk. Um, you want me to read a little bit of it? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, you want to hear some? Yeah. Max knew if you believed in something hard enough, it would come true. That you could be anything you wanted to be. You just needed a little magic. Flipping his wolf cap over his head. Max silently crept on all fours into his brother's bedroom, looking for the magic he needed. His brother, Skateball, was sprawled on a bare mattress on the floor, still wearing his sneakers and sleeveless jean jacket, snoring softly. Lately, he'd been staying up for four or five days in a row and then passing out and sleeping for two. It had become a pattern, as reliable as the fattening and shrinking of the moon. Max knew there wasn't a chance in hell he'd wake up right now. He tried to wake him up before, but had never been able. When A-Fall was out, he was out. Max scurried around the mattress, over the candy bar wrappers, empty soda bottles and dirty clothes, black shirts and bright blue jeans, clean across the floor. A pizza truck lay forlornly on a greasy plate, half hidden behind a pile of filthy socks and porn mags. Max poked at the truck, looking for mold. Wrinkling his nose, he gave it a quick sniff before smashing it up. Eyes darting about the dim room as he gnawed on the hard crust, he spied what he was looking for. 
three black and black plates resting on a cinder block beside a battered old man. The first one he picked up was empty as he did. Nothing in it but a scaly black truck. The second one, maybe a hit or two, if he was lucky. But the third was just right, with a dark little frozen pond in the bubble at the end, tiny glaciers poking up from the abyss. The flames from the torch lighter hissed loudly, the potion bubbled, rich green smoke welled up, and then Max was a wolf again, a real wolf, running free through the forest, dodging the giant redwoods over fragrant dust and past massive prehistoric ferns, the night sky infinite above him, his old friend the moon, driving impossibly giant and cool, bathing the dark forest in a beautiful, eerie glow. Fat twisted and darted above him, the glowing eyes of owls gleamed from the trees, and the green eyes of a fiend peered from beneath the shelter of ancient roots. Galloping with his nose to the ground, caught a feral, musty scent, and quickened his pace to track the animal smell. Then he spotted it, up ahead, passing through the shadows and into a column of moonlight. A small, hairy creature with long, muscular back legs. It started around a rock outcrop and he followed. So close now he leaned above it. Panicked, the creature sprung to the right, slender ears pinned with downy shoulders. Max pounced, while claws and fangs, relishing the blood and purity of the thing as it struggled and kicked against the cold stillness of the night. Max awoke in the hollow of a redwood stump, naked and bloody, trailing the dead rabbit in his arms, which held soft and fragrant with the scent of earth and blood. Panic rippled through him for a moment as he thought of his wolf hat. He shot his hands to his head, relief flooding through him and his hands fell on the battered old thing. His oldest, the most cherished possession, a gray, faux fur cat with big, floppy wolf ears and a long tail. So old and worn now, he had to pack up with pieces of old leather and black denim. He stretched and languidly pulled himself from the warm, dry dust, yawning as he rose. Shafts of morning sunlight cascaded down from the tall trees and the dew-laden earth glimmered. Grasping the rabbit in his mouth, he sprang from the stump, dropped to the ground on all fours and started off. He knew someone who would treasure this prize from the forest. Miranda, the good witch of the eastern forest. In the past, he had taken his prizes to Mary Ellen's house, leaving them there on the doorstep of her and the family, but no more. They never appreciated them. He'd watch them from the forest as her mother would open the door and shriek, kick the dead little critter off the teeth and slam the door, her father coming out later only to put it in the trash bag, suspiciously gazing about as he hauled it to the garbage can beside the house. That house that had always looked like a gold gilded castle to Max. That had been many, many moons ago, when Max was just a little wild thing up learning the ways of the forest. No one had ever found Mary Ellen's body. Max didn't think they would. As he plodded through the redwoods up the eastern hills, the sky turned gray and a smattering of snow began to drift lazily down, dusting the ground in white. Up, up he went through a grove of hemlock and alder and tangles of huckleberries. So he came to a clearing of rattlesnake grass and pool thistle, in the center of which sat a little house made of red and white straight peppermint candy, perched from concrete blocks. Max knew it wasn't really made of candy, but that's the way he always pushed it, the way he saw it in his heart. And anyway, anything could be real if he believed hard enough and could manage to dig up a little magic. Pale, mildew towards hung from rotting red strings in the trees, rustling softly in the crisp winter breeze. 
attack a rusted engine and a pile of tires. Up to the door he went, pawing at it happily. It swung open, and there she was. Miranda, the good wit of the eastern woods. A wise and old woman with a riot of gray and red hair flaming her gaunt face. Mouth stretched in a warm smile of rotten teeth. Wearing a fringed Holly Davidson shirt and after watch jeans. Oh, Whoopi, she said. You brought me a rabbit. Thank you. So wear your clothes, little boy. You can't be running around in the truck. Going to get yourself in trouble. Now get in here. She set the door open and Max scampered in faster. The room is dim and very warm. The scent of kicking fat and strange plants hung heavy in the air. Pumps of herbs hung from the rafters. Max, re- Max recognized some of them. Dandelions, wheat straw, weeds. A wood stove rumbled in the corner. Waves of heat rolling off it, the amber glow from the cracks in the floor catching strange shadows at the dark green. A greasy black kettle steamed away atop it. Jars of beans and seeds, corn cobs, crumpled leaves and roots were everywhere, from makeshift cells and scrap wood and old bricks. I got some clothes for you, boy. Tucked back here somewhere, she said, disappearing past a hanging tapestry into a back room. Returning a moment later with a red funnel shirt and a faded pair of blue overalls. Gonna be a little big on you, but don't do the trick. Max slipped on the shirt and slipped into the overalls, pulling the straps up over his shoulders. Fit you pretty nice, actually. The old woman nodded her head, approvingly as she was facing. Yeah, very nice. And don't ask who they belong to, either. A lady don't kiss and tell. Sit, sit down. Make yourself comfortable while I tend to this rabbit. Max sat at a small table of rough clean redwood planks. It was ancient and pockmarked, covered in grease stains and gouges, cluttered with overflowing ashtrays, mason jars, and clusters of tiny flowers. In the center sat a digital scale on a box of plastic baggies. The old woman mumbled something Max couldn't make out, reached up and hugged the tangle of leaves hanging from the rafters. Eat this terror Sorel, boy. Just picked it this morning, still wet with dew. He pushed the clump of overshaped leaves at him. Max frowned and turned his head away. Go on now. My mama used to say, eat something with roots in the ground every day. Always keep the sickness at bed. Max dutifully took the green furovers and put them in his mouth, grimaced the sour taste and spit them out. Stop that boy, you eat them like I told you. He scooped the rabbit up by the hind legs and pulled a gleaming square-bladed cleaver off a rack by the sink. Running around in the snow naked, he to get your immunities up. Took the rabbit to the counter, laid it out gently, then brought the cleaver down with a bang against the little joints of his back legs. He held up a furry paw. They say these things are lucky. Keep one in your pocket and go extract money. Put one under your pillow and you'll dream of your true love. He tossed it to Max. He sniffed it and gave it a quick pinch of lip before sliding it into a big pocket of his overalls. Pushing the other foot aside, she deftly rolled the fur down off the thighs, working up the flesh with her long, strong fingers. The knuckles swollen and gnarled. Pale blue veins staked up her wiry and muscular arms as she laid it. I knew your father, you know. He was a wild thing, just like you. He's from scampering to my door, too. Looking for warmth and love, just like you. With a hard yank, he pulled the first, but it slipped up, turning inside out over the head, leaving its pink body naked and shining, with shimmering black soot bulging from its belly. He scooped the viscera and dark organs out into a bowl, talking quietly the whole time. A mother and a lover and a healer is what I've been to all the wild things. Ravens, raccoons, wolves, and menfolk, all the same in their own ways. 
pitching direction, I suppose. Lifting the cleaver, he brought it down the neck, severing the skin, hair, and head from the pale, sinewy body. Your mama still living that sailor in the bottom? Max nodded. Yes. That old orchard of plum trees still back there? She nodded, shifting along lazily to the rhythm of her words. Her voice was like a comforting bomb, and Max's head slammed at the thought of his plum. The scent of the flowers in the spring, so thick the petals would fall like snow. The sound of the bees screaming inside, and later the trees covered in gorge fruit, hanging hot and white in the summer sun, dripping with sugary syrup. She pulled the pelt right side out again, stuck her hand inside, making a puppet of it, wagging the rabbit's head at him, the creature's black eyes staring out lifelessly, ears hanging an inch to his side. Let's say I make you a nice soft start from this here pit. Keep you warm out there while you run wild. Next two, placing the pelt aside, pushed the carpet to the sink and gave the flesh a good rinse off, then laid it splayed out in the redwood county. Just in a back leg with a sharp tongue, he cracked it through the joint, then brought a knife to the hip and sawed it free in two swift motions. Then the other, and the front leg as well, cut the belly flap away along the ribcage, setting it aside. They cracked the backbone in half, separating the chest cavity from the thick knee behind the hood. With a rusty pair of pliers, he cranked open the gas in the stove top, scratched the wooden kitchen mat to the fire, and lit a furnace, sliding a greasy cast iron pan over the licking grease flame. When the grease in the pan began to spit, he threw the thighs and legs in. They crackled and fizzled, the rich aroma of frying flesh filled the pair. Max squirmed in his feet. Drool filling his mouth and flowing over his lips. He smiled at Max. And now for the magic. Everything needs a little magic. Waking up into a cabinet, he received a gleaming red and white and blue box of Captain Crunch in the shadow. Cackling, he put a handful of cereal out from within the wax paper folds, ground it between his palms, mumbling something about the sweetness of the earth as he sprinkled the crumbs top of frying rabbit parts. They sucked and crumped the sizzling flesh into the ladle to steam hot sweet up over the captain front truck, the sugar caramelizing and browning. He set a plate before Matt, then brought a skillet over and spread the rabbit out atop it. Eat what you kill, boy. That's the way of the wild. Max lifted a leg and sucked the stingy meat from the bone, grease running down his skin, the sweet peanut buttery taste of the cereal offsetting the gamey pan of a feral creature in a heavenly and most delicious manner. Licking and gnawing on the bone, he felt his eyes flicker and roll back in his head in ecstasy before he grabbed another leg. The old woman eased herself down in the chair opposite him and watched him eat with a crooked grin. Yes, child. Yes, eat the fill. He pulled a slender glass pipe from a black rubber couch, dropped a diamond-like shard of mess in the tiny hole at the bubble end, and set it to boil with a flame, slowly inhaling the vapor of steam. Eat and rest. You are safe here, little wild one. Safe and love. Yeah. I've never had Captain Crunch like that before. Mmm. <laughs> That's funny. Right on. So you've got Miranda, who is like the surrogate mother figure to him. And, yeah. and Eight Ball is still at home and doing his thing. Yes, uh, so he, he has this conflict because um, Miranda brings him in and um, gives him all the love and affection and warmth and food, you know, the basics of what he needs, but uh, he's still drawn back to his original family. Right. 
but uh, Miranda's got ulterior motives. She's a, it, it's based on the idea that witches would use werewolves for their... Um, to do their bidding. Exactly. And so that's pretty much where I'm at with that. Well, my God, I'm in a room now with a witch and a, and a werewolf. <laughs> hey! Are you going to make me do your bidding, Lisa? Uh, no, I've got I've got a couple of familiars who are uh, you know not 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 quite on the ball, but <laughs> I haven't quite figured out what I am. But well, you know that's the thing about quarantine is that it gives you the opportunity to to figure that shit out. Um, oh, I, I know. I threw a frying pan off the front porch during quarantine so far. That's probably the craziest like thing I did out of frustration. Um, so if anybody drives by my house and you see like, you know, all of the cookware out in the yard, Yin's really mad. It was really a frustration. I just wanted to be heard. That's all I wanted. We all want to be heard, you yeah. know, even even the voices of the wild. Um, so that's a. Uh, I was thinking um, just in terms of, of the theme of this episode um, is, you know, that that when the wild or, or the woods sort of overpower uh, people, you know, Evil Dead, the Evil Dead, Evil Dead, certainly the first two Evil Dead movies uh, call that into mind. But then I was thinking of a movie I watched uh, recently um, called Feral. I don't know if you guys have seen Feral. It's a few years ago. Remind me of it again. I think I saw it. Yeah, it's a typical like, you know, 20 somethings go out, you know, to have like a, a camping trip in the woods before they all go pursue their professional lives. And it's apparently there's this uh, virus almost, you know, into the 28 days later type zombies where they're just like speed zombies and they just eviscerate. And, you know, they, one of them is, is torn apart by one of these creatures. And of course they retreat to a cabin in the woods where there's a mysterious old man who knows more than he's letting on. And, one of them is bitten and it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's a very typical story, um, but that it just, uh, it was just sort of falling into the theme of, you know, don't go into the woods if you're not prepared to, uh, to deal with what you find there, whether it's, you know, butt fucking hillbillies or you know, <laughs> diseased people running around uh, killing campers. Or a witch living in the woods. Sure. Yeah, I think like uh, fairy tales really brought about a lot of that. And it's just a primordial essence to the woods. And if you mentioned the Evil Dead, I mean, people are so terrified of the woods that in the Evil Dead, a woman gets raped by a tree. You know, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> kind of ridiculous in a way. And, and when they rebooted it, instead of like taking that part out, which is because it's kind of silly, doesn't move the plot board. They made it even more horrifying and redid it. You know, it, it, I think that really shows how terrified people are of the forest for some reason. Right, right. And a lot of, you know, fairy tales have been cleaned up. If you read like, you know, original Grimm's fairy tales, I mean, they're they're awful. I think I've talked about it on the on the podcast before. A lot of Irish and, and Scottish uh tales of boggarts and banshees and you know like the water horse and all of these just terrible terrible stories that come of 
teaching children not to go places that they shouldn't go because of the real dangers there. Um, but uh, yeah, the water horse is one of my favorite stories. You know, the, the horses on the beach and the kids, the children, a bunch of children who are playing on the shore, you know, start climbing up on this horse and the horse gets longer and longer and longer as it's accommodating more children. And, and there's one kid that figures this stuff out and uh, the, the horse turns around, turns around and, and looks at looks at the the kid and, and this is just something like get on my back you scabby head you know like speaking and of course you know the, then the children start screaming in terror and the and the horse runs into the runs into the ocean and then all of the children's livers wash up later it's a great story what a waste of liver Mmm, <laughs> children's livers, yum. I've been watching the Hannibal series. I can't believe I didn't watch this shit while it was on. Yes. It's on Netflix now. Holy Jesus fuck, I can't believe that was ever on network television. It's it was good. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh, I gotta well, I love Thomas Harris. I gotta watch that. It was three seasons, but all three seasons are on Netflix right now. And the guy playing Hannibal Lecter, I mean, like, those are some shoes to fill. But Mads Mikkelsen, uh, he's a Danish actor. Man, he, well, he could get it for one thing, like, definitely. Like, he's on my list of horror crushes now. But um, he's so suave. You know, he's not as comically evil as, um, as Hopkins made it. Um, he's charming. Like, you know, I would, I would let him eat my liver. <laughs> no, you got to watch it. I was amazed that this was ever on NBC yeah. because it's just so over the top. Like yeah, it was like 10 o'clock at night before the, the evening news. Yep. Crazy shit. Like the special effects and, and just the storylines, like it's, it's more horrifying than anything, you know, I, you know, I've watched in a, in a movie theater. And this, this was, this was a series. This was a network series. Particularly like the episode where the bodies were arranged. In a totem pole? Yeah. 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 No, Matthew, you got to watch it. I, and, and it makes me happy to learn like so many people did not watch it while it was actually on. Like so many people I know who are into horror, like for some reason, like, you know, we just all kind of bypassed it thinking that they were just going to turn it into just another typical detective show. And oh my God, no, it's not. Yeah. It's good stuff. <laughs> it's baba beans at the farmer's market. Uh, that's the other thing that's like so crazy about uh, the series is how artfully like plated all of these cannibalistic meals are. Like he's, you know, he's an amateur chef and he just plates them all so beautifully and then serves them to people unknowing, you know, <laughs> like you know, they're eating somebody's pancreas, you know, it's just, it's, it, and and the, there's some meals is like, okay, is that sushi or is that like somebody's, you know, somebody's calf meat? Like, what is that? The, the, the production values and, and just whoever is, whoever is doing the, the food art on that, it's, it's just spectacular. So that re what you just said, Lisa, reminded me of what Matthew is reading about Max eating you know, he has like this dead rabbit, right? You know, and he's in this teeth blood and like brings it and, you know, and Matthew, the way you're describing, you know, how people are eating. In fact, I remember even in the, in the story that I read before in mine, 
you know, just the way you describe how people are just kind of gnawing and, 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 and masticating and, you know, all of those things, the juice is like running and stuff on like the, the steak on the plate, you know, in, in mine, you know, it's just kind of like visceral, you know, it's like that visceral thing, which is appropriate for a little wolf boy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. And, and, you know, back uh, when we were talking about when uh, Max's story, you know, I felt like um, oftentimes with like serial killers, there's a there's a beginning with them. There's a beginning of, you know, stalking. And then there's, you know, the wand waving, right? Um, peeping in windows, things like like that. And then it graduates into something you know, that, that then amounts to, to hard to, you know, to murder. And, you know, and I, I'd wondered if that's where Max was headed. Well, they all started keeping Tom. Like yeah. Ted Bundy, all of them. And like, when you hear peeping Tom, it's got like this nice sound to it. And you picture like Bugs Bunny or something peeping in a window. <laughs> and it is so not like that. It's, it's somebody staring at you filled with violent fantasies while they masturbate. That is what a peeping Tom is. The, the person being violated doesn't know they're being violated, and that's part of the thrill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the little girl that got hit in the eye with the BB gun, they never, they never pinned it on Max. No, and I was hinting that he kills her. <laughs> yes, I know. I was like, they never found her body. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Did, did he say that? I'm going to have to, um, so is there, is that, is that excerpt available in print to, to read or is this? I can, um, I can hook you up with a copy if you want. It comes out in September, but, oh. uh, if you want to read it, I'd, I'd be happy to give you a copy. Oh, that, yes, that's very kind of you. I was going to say just, you know, if we, if we could just like put, um, like an excerpt up of like just a sampling or maybe just on the Facebook page. Yeah. Like just putting a little excerpt on. So if there's any like snippet that you would like to um, put up, you know, let us know and and just supply it and we'll put it up there for you and help you plug the book. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading it. I don't, you know, it's funny, like I I don't, I don't read a lot of fiction lately. Um, You know, I do when I do, it does tend to be horror. But what, you know, what I tend to be reading right now is, you know, obviously a lot of true crime you know, murder, murder. I actually did just finish Mary Trump's book, which was, you know, horrifying in and of itself. <laughs> I sort of felt like I had to read it. I'm just like, you know, the Trumps like went to all this effort to, like to block her from publishing it. And, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, it doesn't shed any, you know, new particular salacious light on it, but it's, you know, it's a story like, like so many of us, you know, who come from, dysfunctional families and and this is this is just you know you you understand why trump is the way he is because you know he had a sociopath for a father i mean fred trump was straight up sociopath which is you know horrifying in 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 its own way i mean like everybody no matter you know the wealth or or where they're from um i think horrifying things can uh can spring up no matter no matter where and and we're living the real life omen well yeah 
Um, but, it, you know, it's just interesting that, you know, people tend to look at, oh, the cities are so evil and there's so much crime in the cities. And, and I'm just like, no, the, 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 some of the most fucked up stories that I've heard have come like straight out of the suburbs. <laughs> like people who have people who are running sex dungeons, you know, in, in the basement of their split level ranch. Yeah. You got a sex dungeon? No. <laughs> I would like a sex dungeon. There was a, there was a, um, people always send. I'm me, not allowed to have a sex dungeon. I keep asking. People always send me fucked up real estate listings. Cause that's just like kind of my thing. Like where, you know, you're flipping through the pictures and then all of a sudden there's just something completely fucked up. Um, and so there was this one place, it was like a big old house, like fancy old house, you know, well, not old, but you know, it was a McMansion, but you know, the nice kitchen, the marble countertops, everything's nice. And then they make their way down into the basement. So it's a finished basement and there's clearly a sex swing there and then some kind of rack. And it's like, it's, it's so perfect because it's like, it's, it's track lighting and eggshell colored walls, wall-to-wall carpeting, and, and it's so, like, suburban, and then it's, there's just this sex swing in the middle of it, and, like, those are the, I'm just like, what, what's the story there? What is the story with those people? They all have to get their freak on, whether you're in the backwoods screaming for someone to squeal like a pig, or in the basement of your suburban home, yeah, or you know, your love nest in, you know, Manhattan with your uh, high-priced hooker like Patrick Bateman from uh, American from American Psycho. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah. So people fear the woods when, you know, really the, the real terror is just practically in your backyard. Do you know your neighbors? Like, do you? <laughs> you know? Matthew, do you know your neighbors? Because you're like tucked away, man. Uh, I live in an old hippie commune, and I know my neighbors. Yeah, they're like, uh, it's uh, good people. It's fun. That's cool. So, wow. and, and you've got like, you know, you've got two two children. Yeah, I have okay. a fourteen year old boy and a seven year old daughter. Very cool. And do your children read your books? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> my boys read a couple of my short stories. Yeah, yeah, but not all of them. Yeah. No. <laughs> definitely adult material you know yeah i i often like you know wonder you know a lot of times like when i talk to people that do any writing or um you know things like that like like how do your family members see you my son in particular has been a, a real big help with my writing no i mean it's it's cool that you can get like your family involved or your kids involved in 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 your stuff you know I often ask my kids things like that and it's not, um, I'm not particularly cool to them. So they're, they're a little reluctant, but my daughter actually started like reading off. Cause I said, you know, she, she, she's watching unsolved mysteries with me. Oh, the new one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The one on Netflix. Uh-huh. And she's like, that guy is acting sus. And I'm like, what does that mean? And I'm like learning like new lingo you know, uh, I'm like, what? What does it mean? Yeah. It means a uh, suspect. Oh. Yep. Yeah, it's sus. It's slang. Yeah. Right now, you're acting sus, boy. You're acting sus. Yeah. 
See, I actually prefer the older, the the old school unsolved mysteries because it was like a series of little things. There was like a missing person and then there was some kind of cryptid story. And then, you know, it was, there was, you know, like some, you know, a, a murder mystery where, you know, you'd got, you'd got like three stories in, in the hour. But, you know, I appreciate they've, that they've brought it back. Matthew, what true crime stuff are you into? Uh, yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm like a, kind of obsessed with serial killers for some reason. I'm not yeah. really sure what draws me to that. Um, I inherited my love of true crime from my father, and he was he was all about that stuff. And uh, it's like a it's, it's cemented, but it's a warm blanket for me. Have you read the uh, the guys from last podcast on the left have a book now? I haven't read it yet. No. Is it good? It's so good. The illustrations that they get from different people to, you know, for the, you know, they do, they do sort of like the heavy hitters. They do a chapter on Dahmer and, and uh, you know, a chapter on Ed Gein. I'm a devoted fan of that show. I love it. Yeah. I love that show. The book is fucking fantastic. And, and I'm, I'm heartbroken that they've, they've had to, you know, delay, um, postpone the tour because I had tickets to see them. Um, and then it got bumped to August and now it's like May of 2021 now is, is wow. when I'll get to see them. Yeah. yeah. So Matthew, have you seen, um, any of, did you see Terrifier? Uh, the one with the clown? Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, it's a great movie. I love that movie. We had, uh, David Howard Thornton, who plays Art the Clown. So we had a we had a cool interview. We talked about the movie and then we just talked, we talked about clowns in horror there's a sequel coming out, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's been delayed, um, but yeah, they were in the midst of uh, kind of wrapping up the final scenes um, when COVID hit, and so I know Damien, uh, the director, is editing and doing stuff with what they have, um, and you know, hopefully it'll hopefully it'll be finished, you know, more or less on schedule. But yeah, I'm looking forward to the sequel. According to David, it's 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 even more disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe Max will get his own movie. No, fingers crossed. <laughs> Actually, I that that I could definitely see that you know being, if not a feature film, but like having like you know Netflix pick that up and and turn it into a, a, a like a, a mini series. That would be that would be cool. Hear that Netflix? Come yeah, on. Hulu, Amazon Prime. Call yeah. us. <laughs> we'll hook you up. Take your movies to your phone. I'll take whatever I can get. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's been a pretty interesting ride this past year. I think, um, well, uh, Stay Scary had its uh, anniversary. Um, I think uh, I have to look and see when the first episode actually launched. But, yeah, the, it's back in July. I started recording episodes uh, last July. Yeah, we're coming up on the first year of actually, you know, being out in the ether. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. It's awesome. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I think, uh, I think Lisa, I'm just going to say this just because it's just an observation on my end. I, I hopped on as a guest in August and then uh, I think a few episodes after that, I, I volunteered to co-host and it's been a really wild ride. I can't believe all the people that we've met and talked to and, you know, just, it's it's been incredible and the one thing that i notice with all of the guests that we've had especially like with people that go really dark like art the clown you get that like that is a dark character and david howard thornton plays him beautifully your stories are dark um 
they're nice people. Like you guys are like so sweet. <laughs> people in horror. And, and I said this when we were talking to David, like people in the horror scene are like the most welcoming, friendly, you know, you know, they say, don't meet your, don't meet your idols or don't meet your heroes. And that's never been the case with horror cons. Like every actor, every director, every writer that I've met at, at the cons have, have been so appreciative and humble and welcoming. And that's, that's definitely been the case, you know, with, with the people that we've talked to on the podcast for the last year. Oh yeah. Uh, horror people, like, I think they get it out of them. They're able to express their fears, express themselves in a way that really makes them, you know, like someone asked Stephen King, how do you sleep at night? Don't you have nightmares? And he's like, no, I don't have nightmares. I write them all out. They're all out of me. Yeah. And it's like, you study comedians, they're usually the really dark ones. They're like high suicide rate, tons of depression, anger issues. I mean, that's they're wrestling with their demons in a in a in a different way, but without truly addressing the demon. Whereas I think with uh, with horror and and horror fans and and we did the uh, um, episode about addiction and horror. That a lot of my friends. I mean, I've been in recovery for eighteen years, and a lot of my friends that I've met in in recovery circles also tend to be huge horror fans. And I think part of that is, and I say this a lot, is that you get that adrenaline rush. You know, you get that rush, but you're not an asshole. <laughs> you don't uh, you don't create any wreckage in your home or in your personal life, so you get that rush um, without uh, without destroying yourself. It's um, wouldn't call it a substitution, but uh, you know I think it's a I think it's a healthy way to sort of um, channel a lot of that uh, isolation and um, fear. Um, yeah, I, I've just found that the you know horror movies and and the horror scene has. Um, it's it's just a very welcoming um, community. Yeah, and I'm just going to throw back to uh, another thing that um, so Lisa got to see a Scream Queen back in October at the Salem Horror Fest. Um, and did you meet the? I did. Um, um, the the actor who was in uh, the the infamous uh, second uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie that uh, got you know absolutely got lambasted. The actor was Mark Patton. In, Thank uh, you, in Mark the, Patton. And uh, yeah, so I got the you know the VIP you know ticket so I could pose with him and and then a guy in a Freddy Krueger outfit and and he was yeah very very nice. Um, I get the feeling Robert England is probably a really cool guy too to me. One I've talked to uh, that has met Robert England has said that he's he's the sweetest the sweetest yeah. guy. But yeah, so let's wrap it up. Um, Matthew, tell us uh, tell us when your book is coming out and anything else you got going on. Oh, uh, it's coming out in September. Um, so that's about it for me, really. I don't know. Uh, I had a story published recently in the. Yours best hardcore horror. That was fun. Cool. Yours best hardcore horror. What volume is that? Volume five. Volume five. Well, shit. Cool. Cool. That's awesome. And you're not obviously you're not doing any traveling to like push the book or anything like yeah. that. No. Uh, just in my farm and hang out in the woods. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to guess that quarantine isn't too like horrific for you because you're already kind of doing your thing yeah well you know we're, we're in the middle of the woods already so and um 
it's nice being in a really rural area. We can just go down to the river. We got the ocean and it's the lost coast. There's like nobody there. We can go to the beach and, you know, stay very far away from people. Well, when we're allowed to, when we're allowed to fly again, I'd love to come out and visit. We would love to have you again. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yay. Well, we got a um, guest room and everything. Oh, that's awesome. Cool, cool. Uh, all right. So um, we're just kind of still doing our thing. You can hook up with us on social media. We are on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Uh, Stay Scary Pod. And um, we're just trying to keep creating content uh, using the means at our disposal. So we appreciate uh, people hanging in there and listening to us. And thank you, Matthew, for coming on and traveling to, to record and Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really stoked to be here. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Matt. Uh, are, do you go by Matt ever or Matthew? Is it just strict? Are you Matthew, Matthew? I go by Matthew professionally, but uh, everyone knows me calls me Maddie. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> well, I'll call you Maddie. Thank you, Maddie. You're welcome. <laughs> thanks, Maddie. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, stay scary. Stay scary. Hey. Hey. <laughs> There's a monster in the house. There's a monster in the house. There's a monster in the house.